Let's pray for the message, shall we, while we're all standing? Father, today we come thanking you for this opportunity to share your word. We pray that what we say will be a blessing. It will lift lives and re refocus minds. We pray that people's spirits and minds will be taken to a new place. Whatever they're struggling with today, they'll find healing and blessing. I thank you for your power. I thank you for the ability of the word of God to bring healing. I declare by faith that everybody in this room will find this to be a moment of great deliverance in Jesus' name. And everybody say, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If uh, one of you guys can bring my chair, I appreciate it. And I want, I, want to, I want to make a point that I think is really important. This series that we're in is one of the unique series that can help you if you apply it. It answers a question. Repeat the question when you please say, what happened? Come on, say like a minute. Come on, say, what happened to my family? That's the question. What happened to my family? How in the world did we get here in this place? Last week, I, I, I put myself in the hot seat, and I asked a very awkward question. And what I did was I gave you five review thoughts from last week, and that's just so that you can catch up. If you can go back and listen to the sermon, it, it's really worth listening to. The Q&A is phenomenal. I just wish, uh, I, I, I'm not going to do that today, but it's real, I love doing it anyway. But let me give you a, a summary of what we talked about. Last week, my answer to the question about what happened to our family was, one of the issues is they become sexually distracted and off track. We become lascivious. The word lascivious means to be without walls. It's a word that describes having uh, no boundaries when it comes to your intimate or sexual life. There's just no, no restrictions at all. And we have, I said last week, become overly sexualized. And, and I tried, I said, I think it was graceful. I don't think you have to, don't, don't buckle up and get nervous here. But it, it, I think I, in the discussion, it really was powerful. It really helped, helped me see how you think. The discussion uh, was really sparked with the question that I asked. Uh, what, why should your pastor be faithful to his wife? And I talked about me, I, because I can't talk about you. I talked about me. Now, I had my wife come up. I had her verify my commitment to her and verify we don't have those issues. And I'm not making fun of anybody who has or talking down to anybody who's gone through this or who's fallen in this area of their life. But I wanted to at least set the stage so nobody can go and say, I'm confessing something. Um, I want to make sure it's all straight. And you understood that I just want to put myself, and I did. I, I, put, I set myself in this hot seat. And I said, OK, now what if it was me? Then I got out of the hot seat and said, what if it was you? And I talked about the, the, the temptations we all face. You are a person. And people historically have had to manage this area of their life. And it's not always an easy area to manage. Paul gave some advice. And it answered the question that uh, I asked you. Why should I be faithful to my wife? Because my answer was, God said that sexual immorality or sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's what, the, that's what God said. Now, you don't have to agree with that. I just told you what it, what it said. I mean, I didn't write it. I didn't write the book. I'm not the author of the book. I'm just telling you what it said. Now, let's pause for a second, give Ricky Temple a break. I didn't write the book. I just told you what it said. The word that's used, uh, in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is sexual immorality in the New King James Version. It used to be fornication in the King James. But if you could take adultery, um, pornography, take all that stuff and put it under one word, immorality, 
That's, what, that's where it all fits, biblically. Now, again, you don't have to agree with the Bible. I just told you what it said. Okay, I'm just a reporter. Now, here, here's what I want you to see. Paul said, in order to control this area of your life, he said, you can't pray it away, talk it away, fast it away, read the Bible, go to counseling. That's not what he said to do. He said, flee, fornic flee sexual immorality. He said this, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You're not your own. Come on, say, I'm not my own. Come on. Now, see, you, you, you God's challenge to you to you go out on a date. Then you take a break. After the date's over, you go back to being God's child. This is your God-child day. See, church is God-child day. I'm a child of God today. Now, in school tomorrow, you'll be cussing, but today you're a child of God. This is a child of God day. See, I understand somebody make you mad, you're going to be cussing, want to fight. This, this is, right now, it's God-child of God day. On the way to church, you was fussing. Now you're a child of God, see? The rest of the day, now you'll pick it back up when you get back in the car. Because, you, know, you know, we fuss till we get in the door. Then we come to church. <laughs> it's, it's, it's time to, well, I used to do that. I used to do that when I was a kid. I, 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 I was, you know, I, we used to cuss up until the cross. It was a cross on, right there, I used to live off of Hoover Street in L.A. It was a church. And we come from elementary school. And because I was around adults who cussed, I learned how to cuss professionally. And so they trained me. My mama didn't cuss. My mama never said bad words. It was some other folks who said them bad words, and they were, they were good. They were ninja cussers. And so they cussed around me, so I learned the words. And so we would cuss, you know, and, and all the way to the, you know, this is the cross. The church is right here, okay, right? So I, I've told this before, but it's true. We'd say, hey, help, the church, the church. No, no cussing. Blank, 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 blank. I mean, up, up until, we, it was amazing. We, we, we knew not to cuss by the cross. It was a big cross on the church, and so we would cuss up until the cross. That's how some of you cuss. You ain't cussing. I couldn't get you to cuss. Now, don't you cuss in the church? But I know I couldn't get. Now, now I, I want you to, because in your mind, I, oh, that's bad. That's bad. That's really bad. And I, I want you to understand that that's how we can be. Right now, you're holy. I hear people, I'm sanctified and holy. That's because you're not dating anybody. When you date somebody, you forget all, you can't even find the book of Genesis. I said last week, you can't find Genesis. You can't, you can't, can't find, where is Genesis? That's why I tell you, you have to be honest. So here's how, here's how the Bible says, Paul said, you should deal with this. Now, if you don't know what fleeing is, I want to show you, this is fleeing. Look up at the screen. This is fleeing. This is an example of what fleeing There you go. Run. Run faster. That's running. Come on. Come on, say that's running. Come on. That's the only way you win. That's why some of you've been losing. If I see you running down Abercorn, I say, yep, they're running. There you go. <laughs> Bet they get away too. Now, 
<laughs> one discussion. And by the way, let me just say this real quick. Mr. Pollen's out. Anybody know about him? Yeah. Woo! Man, isn't he sickening? Lord have mercy. He's been, he been, <coughs> oh, excuse me, get it out good. Woo, man. Mm. Make you run. Now, I, in my discussion last week, I talked about all of this and, you know, put myself on the hot seat. And I asked you, how many of you would have a hard time listening to me if that were me? If I didn't run, if I just gave in and, and just let myself go and do whatever. And uh, it was, your answers were phenomenal in all three services. But one, one comment stood out to me uh, by one person in particular, but also by a group that basically said, I, you know, I didn't come, I, I could forgive you. I can give you a chance if you fail. I come to hear the word and you're just a man. It was well said. I mean, it was well said. Everybody else got real quiet. But what was powerful, and I think it was in the service, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> and one of the things that I think was powerful was what I gained from that. And that's what sparked the sermon. So here, here we go today. You ready? Look at the title with me, please. Say, How to Respond. Come on, sit again. Say, How to Respond to Failure. How do you respond when a person fails? Well, and how, how can you love a person but demand better when they fail? There are three things that I want you to think about. If this were me, it's not me today, but I want you to think about it. I'd want you to forgive me. I'd want you to love me, but I want you to demand better. Come on, say, forgive me, forgive me. Love, me love me, but demand better. That's fair. That's really fair. But then the big question becomes, okay, how can you love a person but demand better? How, how does that work? Well, you know, how, what do I say? You know, if it's your spouse, what do you say? If it's, if it's your friend or your pastor or someone else, what do you say? In the last few years, we've had many public moral failures by pastors over the last several years, as a matter of fact, and leaders. And it's, it's really been, a, a, a lot of times people, I, they don't know what to do. Every time something happens, somebody comes and asks me, you okay? I said, why are you going to ask me, am I okay? <laughs> My name's Ricky. But, but I understand. It, it, you know, you get nervous. And it, you know, the busier you get, and traveling all over the place. And, and, and let me say, you have opportunities. You have opportunities to do things. And you, you have to kind of decide whether you're going to do it or not. I remember when I was in college, I was um, dating this girl. And uh, not dating, no, 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 I wasn't dating this girl. I went out on a date. And, uh, and we worked together. And she just, you know, just wanted to ride home one day. And so we just decided we went out on a date. And she asked me, she said, well, what are you in school for? I said, well, I'm studying theology, be a minister. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, I'm the devil. <laughs> and she did. She said, I'm the devil, you know. And she kind of, I said, oh, really? I said, okay. That was the last date, last supper. That was the last. There was no more supper for you. It was amazing. I mean, she wasn't being mean. She was really being funny. But her point was, I don't live like that. I just want, I want you to be really clear. 
my choices to you would make me the devil. What an incredibly honest moment. And so the point was, if you stay with me, you're going to say, this is the devil. And you could feel the little spark. She had that little edge that you kind of like, and you know, you felt a little bit of whatever, and, and at least enough where you'd go out again. But I kind of, in hindsight, admire that. Let me stop you now. I'm the devil. <laughs> I don't think like you. I don't have the same values you do. I'm not studying to be in the ministry. I'm the devil. <laughs> I just think, I thought about that yesterday. I thought, I got to tell that story. That was amazing. In your life, do you demand better than that for you? Or do you accept that? So many, so many young girls, you know, you just got to have somebody. Your life is defined by this got to have somebody thing. You just, you, you're not going to be whole, so you'll do anything, you know, anything. And I, and I think you're a little bit confused because you keep saying, I keep falling into this trap. I'm not where I want to, want to be. And I think there's reasons for that, and I'll give reasons at the end of our teaching as to why I think this happens. One is because you don't know how your body works, and you keep ignoring how your body works. But again, we'll say that for later. But let me, if I can, talk to those who have messed up. And uh, I want to be real clear. I did not grow up in a context or in a home where I was told this was ever wrong. When I first heard the word fornication, I didn't know what it meant. I was absolutely surprised. And I said, really? The Bible said that's wrong. Don't do that until you're married. I thought, well, wow. You know, it's, it's kind of like when I was, <laughs> I was at a restaurant in, uh, of course, Los Angeles. And uh, I, was, um, I ordered this um, virgin strawberry daiquiri. Everybody say virgin, virgin. Strawberry, strawberry daiquiri. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that my sermon's bad. The baby's not crying for that reason, by the way. <laughs> I, <you> know that. <laughs> I love that. But anyway, I ordered this virgin strawberry daiquiri. And this girl who was waiting on me, she said something. I, I just thought, oh, God. She said, virgin? There ain't one for miles around here, boy. What you talking about, virgin? <laughs> I said, okay, I didn't ask you for that. I just asked you for a virgin. A, okay, a, a drink with no alcohol. Okay? That's all I want. And, and it really, so, so I, I, don't, I don't come from an environment where I, I had this idea that, it, that, you know, I'm holy and this is wrong. I just, I, I stumbled upon this in the Bible. And so when I, when I came to this, I thought, okay, well, this is something to think about. And so if a person says, okay, Pastor, well, I, you know, I definitely haven't been obeying that one, what happens? What, what do you do if, you, if this area has not been one of your strong areas? The first thing is you can be forgiven for that. You can start fresh. 1 John 1 and 9, here's what it says. If, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. I can confess, I can say, I can communicate. I can say, hey, look, you know, this is, um, am, am I not looking good? I'm looking at my wife's, look good there, boy. There you go. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not 
if you're not um, careful, you will, you will not hear how important this verse is. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. But I have to say it. I have to admit, I have this problem. I have, this, I have this issue in my life, and it will not go away. And nowadays, what's really made it more difficult is you now have all these um, things in your life that make it easier to be this way. And your body works against you, just like with sugar. And he was talking about sugar earlier, if you're just tuning in. And we had a doctor talking to us about how sugar craves more sugar and more sugar and more sugar and you can become addicted, and you lose your ability to balance yourself out. And so a lot of people don't realize that they have an issue and they won't say it. If I confess this and say, this is my tendency. If I go to his house tonight, if I go to her house tonight, if I do this, if we, I'm, here's what's going to happen, probably. And all you do is look at your history and say, based on my history, this is my tendency. And so based on that, I need to pause and think about this and be really candid with myself. And the reason I view this as a sin is because the word sin has to do with this is bad for me. A sin is not God in heaven saying, I just decided to make this wrong. No, it's like, this doesn't work for you. When I made the point last week and I said, what if I were to cheat on my wife? You looked at me like, you must be out of your mind. That's bad for you and the church. And for me, I'm, your, I'm following you. Trying to, you're a man of God. How are you going to be kind of an example for me? Notice how you easily could see it. To you, that was a sin. That was bad for me. Bad for my kids. Bad for everything. Bad for the city. I mean, you, you thought, but, but notice how for you, you, you don't see it that way. That's why I put you in the hot seat and said, think about it. Now, what if it's your turn? Put you here. There's something about understanding you don't think that certain things are good, but you keep falling into it. And here's why he said, you got to confess it. You, gotta, you have to say it. I, I think a lot of things are kept because we have no one that holds us accountable. There's no one that says, hey, look, let me, um, let me make myself accountable. Every month, every 30 days, our books are analyzed financially outside of our church. We have a, a company that comes in and they have a personal conversation with me. Yes, amazing. Smoking emails, boy. Hey, you out of budget. What are you, why are you proving that? And this is the margin we're trying to keep, right? You know, and it's great. I think it's great. Every pastor wouldn't do it. I'm not trying to send some super guy, but I, I'm telling you, I haven't liked it all the time. When we first started several years ago, they sat down and said, okay, we're going to first go through what most preachers don't know, balance sheet, profit, loss, cash flow. Let's look at this, and this is our monthly review stuff. Big three. Then we started looking at other stuff, and so it's been this progressive education over the last several years where I, I'm taught, you know, they, Pastor, how much money do you have? They, they'll look at, you know, look at the balance sheet, and they say, oh, I got, I got $100,000. $100, no, you don't, Pastor. You owe 50000 of that. Your short-term liabilities, you owe that. That money, you don't, you, you really got 50. Really? Yeah. Or you got 10. You are tight. It was healthy to have someone point out to me and show me where I am 
from their perspective. Outside eyes help you. But we don't want to confess any, to anybody. If somebody said to you, so okay, you've been dating, how many people, here's all of how many people have you dated in the last five years? Write their names down. Yeah, I ain't doing that. No, write it down. Last five years, write down every name of every person you've dated and then why you broke up. Here's what if you're not careful. Because they did. Because they did. Because they did. Because they did. It's always them. You're an angel, they're the devil. And then what kind of people are you dating? And, 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 and were you <clears throat> off track with each one? Or did you try to be off track with each one? What does that say? What does that say about your strength and your commitment to God? What does that, part, what does that say? Write down every time you go on the Internet and scroll around in, in, in those areas and ask yourself, I do that twice a day, three times a day. I do that. And look at how much time. Log it. And say to yourself, man, I'm spending how many hours a week doing this? I'm saying, I'm, what, what is happening to me, you need a friend. Listen to me. You need a friend in your life who said, boy, you crazy. Sister girl, what's wrong with you? You need somebody in your life when you get ready to go out of, out, 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 uh, I can get it out. Get it out, preacher. <laughs> when you get ready to go out and they look at your clothes and say, girl, you can't go with us like that. Like a she-hag. You cannot go out with us looking like that. I mean, you know, you know, you know those kind of girls, right? What's with your hair? You need to stop at the shop. Those toes are gonna cut somebody if you keep. I mean, you need that. I mean, you know, I'm telling the truth. Those kind of girlfriends help you be better. You need a man in your life. Say, man, look at your car. You got sandwiches and stuff in the back seat. What you doing? Saving for lunch? You need you get somebody who loves you, gets in your car, and says, okay, bring the trash can over here. Lord Jesus, this place is the best. They help you. They help you. They, pull, they, they, they challenge you to think about it. I got some friends that just broke. Temple, you broke. You what's wrong? Your money funny? I wouldn't even mention it. If I didn't have any money, I wouldn't say it around them. Not them. What? They would, they would, they would, what's the problem? What? What, what, you spending more than you make? No, uh, no, no, I'll be tempted to lie then, see? <laughs> because, because I know they don't play that. Well, get up and do something. What'd you do, Temple? If you got a problem, did you, did you take it on? What'd you do? Did you tell your church? Did you stand up and tell them? They wouldn't tolerate it. They don't play that. That's not how they live. You need some no-excuses people in your life who will call you on the carpet and get you to confess your sins. But do you allow that? You're grown, right? Doctor told you, but you're not going to listen to the doctor. Not going to listen to anybody. Not listening to God. Okay. So you're not going to do your homework. You're going to wait, right? Okay. So when you get your grades and you no longer qualify for the grant you need to stay in school, whose fault is that? 
Now, I can understand if you study hard. I've studied hard and didn't get a good grade. You know, I'd, I'd still, I've forgiven those teachers. But I, I've studied. <laughs> I had to forgive him. I'm telling you, I had to forgive him. Sorry, Temple. At this time. I worked hard on a paper and got a 70. I spent 30 hours on that paper. That's the devil. <laughs> I made an A out of the class. Ha, take that. But on the paper, I'm going to write a book, my best 70. <laughs> That's what I told myself. I'm going to write a book on it. You know, I, I, that happened to me twice. Twice. How in the world I made A's in both classes? But twice. Well, okay, I made a B in one. But I was mad. It's good mad. You didn't get the concept. I don't care what you thought, Reverend. You didn't get it right. Deal with it. Suck it up. Go at it again. You in school. Learn. Say amen. amen. Learn. You don't know everything. That's why you're in school. Learn. Come on, let me hear you. Learn. No, say it like a minute. Come on. Learn. Learn. Stop being a wimp. Or went bad. You're supposed to fail. That's how you get up. Last point in the game. Ricky Temple dribbles the ball. The Lakers passes it off to Rick. He drives down. Three-point shot. Air ball. That happened to Kobe Bryant three times in one game. He shot three air balls in one game. And one of his premier games, one of his first breakout games, he made three important air balls. There are times in your life when you shoot an air ball and you need to say, air ball? <laughs> Can we do it like they do it in the arena when you shoot an air ball? Air ball. Read one, two, three. Air ball. Oh, it's great. It's there when it's the other guy. But if you want to win, you got to run back down the court, confess that, and move on. That shot was off. That year was off. That month was off. That season was off. That relationship choice was off. Those decisions were off. But I don't have to stay off. You're not going to be perfect. I was deciding something right there. I, I, I was, when I paused, I was deciding, say, don't say, say, don't say. That's what that long pause was about. I called a professor back about a grade. See, this is what I was deciding. Almost, but I, I feel like I should say it. So I'm going to say it for the students in the room. I called him back because I didn't get a grade I won. I was two points off. I had 98. I wanted 100. And so I called him and asked him about my 98 and uh, my, my two points. And he said, you have a perfection problem. And I'm not giving it to you. He said it nicely because he likes me. I like your temper. You're all right. But no. There's a moment in your life when you don't get it right. Embrace imperfection. I'm a sinner. I fail. I aim and I miss. 
You are not right in your marriage all the time. Your wife is right. You did do that. Diane pointed out to me the other day. She says, I always blame her. If I can't find something, Diane, did you move my shoes? <laughs> Diane, I can't find You know what she says? All right, you can't find your keys. You think I got them? She'll laugh. She makes a joke out of it now. Better get serious when I'm talking to her. But she make a joke out of it. She'll tell me. And as I, I caught myself the other day. I couldn't find something. And the first thing I said, Diane, did you move my T-shirt? Oh, yeah, I always move your T-shirts. <laughs> I'm always moving everything of yours. Temple, I, <laughs> Temple, listen to yourself. I did not do it. You did it. Then I'll find it on my desk downstairs. So I found it. She said, where, where did you find it? I said, someplace in the house, so I found it. <laughs> Getting all up in my business now, okay? And then I said like this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Say it louder. You're sorry for blaming me again, dude. Hilarious. <laughs> Come on, lift your hands. Say, I mess up sometimes. Come on. But here's what I think is important. The Bible says, I believe we should ask for forgiveness, but it also demands better from us. Second, verse Timothy chapter three, verse one. Now, I want you to notice how clear this is. This is what's called the qualifications for leadership. If you want to be in leadership, this is what you have to do. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. The word bishop means overseer. Don't get caught up in the title because we've taken that term. And now it means something a little bit different than what it meant when they first heard this. Elder is the position. Bishop is the description of the position. A mature elder becomes an overseer or a bishop. Are you with me? So <clears throat> what we've done is made the bishop the, the head guy. And we focus on the oversight position. But this is the description of a job description. You oversee. And if you desire that, that's a good thing. But for those who desire it, there is an expectation, a demand that they live better. So if I want to sit in this seat and be the leader, I have to understand that God demands better of me. I can't just do that, even though he is willing to forgive me and I can be restored, he still demands better. Here's what he says. If a man desires to also be a bishop, it's a good thing. You want to volunteer? Great. A bishop then must be blameless. Now, that means it's hard to find fault in him. Not perfect, but boy, you got to look for it. Not somebody you can say, he's a liar. He's a flirt. He's chasing women. I can feel it in his eyes. The husband of one wife, that, that doesn't mean he's never been married more than once, because I, I, you don't always control how, how many times you're married. That's true. I, I, I thought that, you know, I thought that was, I controlled it. I do to a degree, but I've dealt with people who said, for example, I do not want to be married to a pastor. I've known women who did that. They left their, they left their pastor husbands. They said, I'm tired of the church. 
I'm tired of the people, and I'm tired of him. <laughs> Diane did not want to marry a pastor until she met me. <laughs> no, she didn't know. She, I wasn't scheduled to be. I didn't plan to be. This is amazing that I'm still I'm in this job. But Diane said clearly, I do not want to marry a pastor. And there are women who feel that way. And I've seen them say to me, one told me, he can choose me or the church. <clears throat> I've heard that more than once. He has a choice. I had one, when I was in college, she asked me, and this was a person who was really nice to me, I mean, prior to, <clears throat> prior to hearing what I was going to do for a living. And I didn't tell them to be a pastor. I, she just heard I might be one. Because I was in school that trained pastors. Just, you know, but, again, I wasn't planning on being one. So she said, what are you, what are you in school for? And I told her, and she said, so you're going to be a pastor? And her whole face changed. She said words I've never forgotten. She said, I was married to one. And I will never marry another one. He had no time for me. Church was first. No time for his children. It's an awful life. It's an awful life. And I thought, wow. I think God had me meet her. So that I would remember that. This is what you can do to a woman. This is the world you can create by allowing the church to dominate your life. And I don't think the church intended to. I think we, we there's a, a book I, I, I'm reading. It's called A Dangerous Calling. A Dangerous Calling. And it talks about the way we raise preachers. I'm recommending leaders read it. And it, it um, it's a book by David Tripp, T-R-I-P-P, Paul David Tripp, A Dangerous Calling. And the book talks about how pastors, uh, ministers are being trained to live in ways that are unhealthy. And this, this lady was an example of that. I need to understand that God demands better of me than that. He demands that I not create that environment where a person feels that way. And I don't want Diane to feel that way. And I've worked really hard. That's why we have Monday is Diane's day and Saturday was kids' day. And I just don't do that. I just, we take off every quarter. and We've always had vacations. I mean, I, I am committed to that. I am committed to that. I believe it changes your life. It's those pieces put in those places that change everything. When I put those pieces in my life and said, this is what I do, it, it, it's really important for you to get this idea is expected of me to do better than that. And he gives this list that just goes on. I must be the husband of one wife, a one woman kind of man, temperate, controlling my temper, uh, sober minded, thinking clearly of good behavior, hospitable. I'm able to teach, not given the wine. I, I've noticed this. This is in, in 1 Timothy 3, if you're following me now, verse 3. Wine and alcohol have never done my family well. I have not seen any man in my family be a social drinker and not become, not become destroyed by alcohol and drugs. Never. I can't name one. It has wrecked them financially, relationally, and you can look at them and tell you drink, you're out of control, and it's tragic. That's why I don't drink. I don't need a Bible verse. I can just look at some people in my, my family. 
See, I, I just decided, I, you know, God expects better of me. I'm not violent. <laughs> it's not greedy. You're a bully. <laughs> Bullying people with your money and your, your wolf. Scaring your wife. Threatening violence all the time. I go to prison now to speak for the Department of Corrections. It's a wonderful honor. I've been asked to go and teach on choices. And I've been traveling around to all the prisons. And um, I spoke to several hundred men a week last week. And let me tell you, let me tell you this for a second. You know, you can bully, but if you so bully, you reap bully. God may put you with some other bullies. There's a bunch of them I talked to the other day. <laughs> They're very qualified to be a bully. Be careful. Be careful of the seed you sow. Be careful of the intimidating spirit you raise. Be careful. Be careful that God will not send you to people like you. Well, I ain't going to do nothing. Don't worry. A lot of people in jail didn't do nothing. If God decides that you have sown enough seed to reap a harvest, you might end up there. And you didn't do anything. Be careful what you sow. Be careful. I saw a video of a, they, they have these videos now where they knock out people and stuff. And I saw this sad video. Um, and I thought, I deleted, I deleted it, I, but, but I ran across it. And I thought, here's this guy, big muscles, walking around, bullying people that are smaller than him. God gave you a body and a great gift. And that's what you use it for. Use your money, your strength. Be careful. The, the, history is proven. You reap what you sow. God expects better than that from you. Violent, greedy for money. The Bible said what you should be is gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well. That's what God expects of a leader. And so if you're going to be in this position, those are things that you have, to, you, have to, you have to focus on in your life. Now, I think the Bible is so honest and so, so balanced, and it tries to help you do something that's really simple. He loves you enough. He doesn't want you to fall. And his goal is to get you to balance my, ability, my willingness to forgive you and your acceptance of bad behavior. He wants you to know, I'll forgive you, but I don't want you to accept bad behavior. And that's the rub. God wants to no, know he loves you, but he, will, he expects better of you. Bad behavior is not accepted. And then he gives you examples in the Bible. There's a long list at the bottom of the front page. I gave you a list of what I call uh, people who fell. And you have people like Adam and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph's brothers and Moses, Aaron, Miriam, all these people, Peter, the 12 disciples, all examples of people who fell. There's a guy named Howard Hendricks who wrote, uh, who made a comment, he teaches on leadership. He said, in the Bible, 80% of the people in the Bible ended badly. I mean, I just named a bunch of famous people in the Bible. And they all had bad moments. And part of it was because something went wrong. So on the back page, we close. Let me give you three reasons uh, why some people keep falling. Why you keep failing, falling. The first thing is a disrespect for how your body works. Secondly, there's a dishonesty about your motives. Thirdly, there's dishonesty about your emotional condition. 
Now, I, I, I want to illustrate this, and I want you to imagine for a second how this works. <clears throat> you will fail as long as you ignore how your body works in this area of immorality. Let's, let's pretend you came to my house and I put out before you greens, rice, baked chicken, fried chicken, barbecue ribs. Oh, man. Lima beans, sweet potato pie. Mm, have mercy. Going to name something else you want? Banana pudding. Oh, yeah, look at it. He's going to bring up my banana pudding. That's <laughs> banana pudding. And it's all sitting there. By the time you see it, something starts happening. Your mouth starts watering. But there's a conversation going on. Your body starts having a conversation. Your body says, all right, we're going to eat now. All right, come on then. <laughs> and, and so you start putting down the pie, and you start putting down the banana pudding, and you just keep eating. And then your body says, all right, now, all right, that's enough, that's enough. That's enough, boy, back up, back up, back up. Oh, boy, watch out. Oh, boy. And if you keep on, something's like, oh, here we go, here we go, here we go. <laughs> Expand out there, stuff. <laughs> Loosen up them pants. Oh, boy. You see, everything starts going, putting that sugar, drinking that sweet tea, Give me another sweet tea. Fill it up then. And the pancreas say, oh, boy, sugar everywhere. Watch out. Too much sugar. Sugar coming. Oh, boy. Come on, insulin. I'm tired. I'm tired. It's too much sugar. Can't, can't process all this sugar. You know, and so your body has this conversation. And it starts talking to itself. Well, the same thing happens when it comes to your intimate life. You see somebody, your body says, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yes, sir, that's pretty, pretty nice. Oh, yeah, let's crank it up here. But I said, we about to, mm, there you go. <laughs> there you go, crank it up, there you go. <laughs> See, that's what happens. Your body says, it's time. Let me be clear. Your body is not saved. Your body does not have an off switch. If you do this, it's going to want to crank all the way up. It does not have an off switch. Why are you so quiet? <laughs> Your body starts having a conversation. As a matter of fact, if you, if you train a person and you train yourself, every time we go to dinner, we go to a movie, and then we... Every time they see you, it can be at the mall. <laughs> You've trained them. They don't see you as a person. And this is what I've seen people go through with relationships. They go, well, what happened? Because when you get married, nothing cranking. Push the button, no sound, nothing. Because now you have crossed over and your relationship is more than that. You can pray, you can speak in tongues, you can fast, you can fall out. But if you keep on, every time and you keep cracking, eventually one day it's going to come on and you ain't going to be able to cut it off. Okay, I cut it off. <laughs> Do you get the point? Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. Amen. Come on, people. Come on, come on, come on. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? It's, 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 it's one of those moments when you sit down and you look at the practical side of your life and you say, I'm being dishonest about my motives. I like cranking. I, I, that's my, and, and, and just like food. 
You were designed to eat. But there's a place to, and there's a limit. There are borders and boundaries. And if you're dishonest about that, and you're dishonest about your emotional state, you'll never change. And so, you'll go to church. You'll kind of like God a little bit, but your flesh will rule. And I want you to see what the Bible says. This is important. Galatians 5, 19. You ready? Here's what the flesh will do. Now, the flesh is you free, no boundaries, what you naturally would do on your own. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, here's what will happen. First, Galatians 5, 19. The works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Here's what will happen naturally. Adultery will happen. Fornication will happen. Uncleanness will happen. Lewdness will happen. Notice at the top of Paul's list. Paul lived in a very promiscuous culture. Paul lived in a culture where everybody did everything. Paul lived, Paul lived around it. He lived around the Greeks. He lived around people who have no boundaries. And he understood. He said, this is what the flesh does. Then he goes on to idolatry and other sins. But he says, here's what you'll do first. Here's what will take place in your life. And so you need to pause for a moment and ask yourself, is that how you want to live? But here's what happens in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit's different. The fruit of the flesh is one thing, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's a little grammar lesson. You ready? Whenever you say apostrophe S, Ricky's house, you put apostrophe S, right? Ricky's house. Sam, apostrophe S, house. Sam I mean the house belongs to Sam. The fruit of the Spirit, what that means in the genitive case in the Greek, it means this. It means that when a person owns it, it's theirs. It's not your fruit. It's the fruit that comes from or belongs to the Spirit. Because he's in your life. You are like this. Not because of you. It's not because you prayed and went to church and talked to God. It's not because you scrubbed real good. It's because you prayed. It's because you invited him in your life. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Here's a big one. Self-control. You will never control yourself. It's, it's you allowing the Spirit of God to operate in your life and saying, look, Lord, I, I cannot do this on my own. I'll spend my life cranking. I'll spend my life making excuses, and I will get off track, and I will get far from you. And we're not talking about Ricky Temple in the chair. We're talking about you. You decide today who you want to serve. You decide where you want to be. Now, here's my view, and I'm done for the day. The only reason I do this is because I believe it works. If I thought the other way worked, I'd try it. But I've lived too long. I'm 56, 57 next month, and I've seen very few people appreciate these choices long term. Matter of fact, I've seen none. Here you are right now asking the question, what happened to my family? I'll tell you what happened to our families and what's happening. Go to the public schools and walk the hallways and listen to the kids talk. Go to the prisons and note that 68% of them did not graduate high school. 68%. 80% of them read at an eighth grade level. I want you to pause and ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself. I want you to pause and think about this with me. What road are you on? What path are you on? 
Look at your family tree. How many good marriages are there? How many faithful men are there? Last week in the Q&A, you said, one lady said, I don't know a faithful man. She said, I want you to meet me. The lady said there wasn't a virgin for miles, remember? Nobody's doing that anymore. I was in high school, and a guy came to me, and I was reading the Bible in, in study hall, and he came to me, and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading the Bible. He said, why? So I can learn how to live. He said, I know how to live like everybody else. That's what he told me. I said, well, I don't want everybody else's results. Is that what you want? Pause for a minute. Can I ask you, what's going to make you any different? You're a nice person. You're an intelligent person. But what's going to make you different? Or maybe you don't care to be different. Maybe we as a church shouldn't care to be different. Maybe we should only care about buildings and growth and numbers. Maybe, maybe I should flash about where I'm going to go preach next and what I have and show you a car I drive and maybe look at my house and put a fancy suit on it. And maybe that's, maybe that's ministry. Maybe that's what it's about. I mentor churches and pastors, and I just get so... So sick of what I see sometimes. From afar, they look great. Like that fig tree Jesus talked about. But up close, money's a mess, marriage a mess, kids a mess, house a mess, car a mess, motion's a mess, just a mess. But they can sing good. They can shout good. They can yell at you and talk back to you in church. Feels great. But this generation can't stand that. This generation cannot stand hypocrisy. You say something in this generation, they Google it. They check behind you. You can't say grown people business now. They can check your business and your history. The world has changed, and you're not changing with it. When you die this way, is this your future? Okay, so this is what you're going to school for. I'm, I'm amazed at all the stuff in these fraternities and sororities. So this is what your parents are paying $40,000 a year for you to go to school for? $30,000 a year for you to get drunk? This is the goal. Martin Luther King went through all that for this. And you won't vote. You won't do anything. Is this what this is about? And so we're going to blame who for this? So is this Obama's going to solve it all for us? I mean, nobody solved it for anybody. No Republican, no Democrat. I thank God for what he's done. I appreciate the president. Honor to him. I'm not making, I'm not slighting him in any way. I'm just making a point. You need to look in the mirror. And if you see a person that you don't want to be, ask yourself, what happened to me? What happened to my money? What's happening to our family? And next month, what's happening to our children? What is this? This is not God's best for us. This is not why those people built that first African Baptist church, those slaves, the first, first, Black church in America was built not far from here. The slaves gave up their freedom money. They were saving for their freedom and, and sold that money to buy the ground for that church to be built. Then they came at night after working in the field and built that church. Not but a few miles down the street from here. Dare you, I dare you not take that seriously. I dare you forget where you came from. You ought to go see Selma. You ought to go see something. If you want to know how your life means a lot, all you can do is cuss and use the N-word and talk about each other and look down at each other. That's a devil. That's not God's will. That's not where you need to be. I demand better from you. I demand better from you. I demand better from you. 
women tell me about being raped. Most stories in my brain I want to have. I have boys who tell me about being molested and raped. How dare you? How dare you live that way? How dare you not do better? How dare you not do better? Old people sit here watching you, and they couldn't even use the same bathroom. They couldn't go downtown. How dare you go downtown and get drunk now, and you couldn't sit at the counter? How dare you? How dare you wobble with your hips and have yourself half naked in 30-degree weather to impress somebody who ain't got no money and can't help you a bit? I demand better of you in Jesus' name. God demands better. How can a black man be this way? How could you ever be this way? How could you shame your history? How could you ever allow yourself to, to, to lose sight of your family, lose sight of your kids? How could you? How could you? Look at the backs. Look at the backs of those slaves. How could you? How could you do that? Music shames your history. Cussing every word. Lying and deceiving. Your mama scrub floors. 70% of us are raised by women who scrub floors and sacrifice. My mama scrub floors for me. I've forgotten where I came from. She scrubbed floors for me. She worked. Don't clap. Listen to me. No, no, don't clap. She, she scrubbed floors for me. She struggled for me. Never owned a house till I bought a one. Never had a new car till I bought a one. Never. Never flew first class till I bought her a first class ticket. And she chewed me out. She, why do you buy me this ticket? I told you I can't sit with them people. I said, well, if you want to see your grandchildren, that's the only ticket you got. She got on that plane and she sat down. And then she got off that plane and she said, don't do that if you can't do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it all the time. You only fly first class, girl. Father, help us demand better. Stand on your feet with me, please. Lord, have mercy. I see that little house. I see that little house. Man. I see that little house and that little sink. I got up this morning, yesterday morning, I had to be at uh, Macon, two hours from here, to preach for a group of uh, leaders for a denomination. I had to leave at 5.30. My little Lorenzo drove me. It was an early rise from a long day. I only had a couple hours sleep because I had to help with some other stuff for our family. and I was tired. 
Then I had several things to do yesterday. I had to preach yesterday. Two services today. I was sitting on the floor. Two in the morning. Shining my shoes. My mama told me, he said, um, you know a man buys shoes. Couldn't go to bed without shining my shoes. Laid out my clothes. My mama said, lay your clothes out. I demand better of me. Shine them shoes, dude. You get up and you be on time. It's an honor for them to ask you to come. You get yourself out there and you go. You should be lazy. You should be trifling. You're not sorry, man. Put your shirt in your pants. You, you act like somebody. You live in a circle. You save you some money. Be faithful. Your job. Demand better of yourself. You need to demand better of yourself. My mama said I can do bad by myself. She didn't tell, she didn't tolerate it. She wouldn't marry nobody that would take her down. She told me, I will, I will do bad by myself. I'll die alone first. I will not tolerate this. God will forgive you. God loves you, but he will demand better. I apologize a little bit. Lift your hand. Father, in Jesus' name. Heal hearts today. I'm sorry, I can't pray. I apologize. Put your hands down. You're not living up to your potential. Come on down here. Come on. I'm waiting on you. I'm praying for people. Not living up to your potential. Come on. I'm waiting on you. I can't do it the way I, I can't rush. I'm sorry. Come on. Come on down here. You're not living up to your potential. I'm talking to you today. I'm all up in your Kool-Aid. Come on down here today. If I'm all up in your Kool-Aid, come on down here today. This is for you. Come on. Come on. In the name of Jesus. I'm waiting on you. If you're home streaming, stand up at least. If you're where you can at least stand up, stand up. Say for everybody, step forward. Come on, look closer. Come on. I'm in your Kool-Aid. Come on up here. God demands better of you. Better choices. Better decisions. You can do it. You can do it. I'm no better than you. I am no better than you. But you're going to have to demand better of yourself. Live a holy life. Body, soul, and spirit. God will not bless this church if we're not a holy people. If we're hypocrites and phonies, God will not bless us. We're not trying to be arrogant. We just have to say, I am holy. I am set apart for God. You may have been molested. You may have been raped. You may have gone through a horrible life. But you 
are God's child and God can redeem your life, restore you. God knows what you did and what you didn't do. God knows what was pushed upon you. But right now, demand that you rise above it. Demand that you not let it control you all of your life. Father, we lift our hands today to you and we surrender. We demand better of us. I demand better of this church. We're going to be strong in every area, financially, spiritually, every area of our life. We're not going to be people who walk on the fence. We're going to walk on the road straight. And God, I, I, I speak to the bondage that we talked about in this series, that yokes would be broken, hearts would be open. We will accept your forgiveness, accept your love, but we will demand better of ourselves. And in Jesus' name, we come to you because we need to live up to our potential, live up to our, the place you've called us to be. We're not going to be arrogant. We're going to be humble. We're going to be humble. And we believe, Lord God, that your grace is going to take us to a new place of healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus. Now I want you to give the Lord a big thunderous hand clap. Come on. Come on, come on, shout a little bit. Come on. Hallelujah, Father, we exalt you. We give you glory and honor and praise. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Hallelujah. This is the beginning. When I get up in the morning, I pray before I get out of my bed. Father, I command these feet to obey you. I command these hands to worship you. I command this body to get in line with what you desire for my life. I speak to my weaknesses and command them to bow to me in the name of Jesus. I declare that I will not be controlled by urges and passions that take me away from God's best for my life. I demand better of me. And I believe that God's hands in my life, no friend, no relationship, nothing shall separate me from your love. And so, God, I pray that you bring into my life people that can help me grow and help me be strong. I thank you. I forgive myself for my flaws. I forgive those who have offended me. And I rise today to walk in victory before you. In Jesus' name. And you put your feet on the floor after a prayer like that, you feel powerful. You declare it in Jesus' name. And so I want you to declare in Jesus' name in your life that your life has changed and you're going in a new direction with confidence and faith. Say amen. amen. Come on, amen. You got it, church? Come on, come on. Give God a big praise. Praise God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I got, I'm still going to need a few more minutes of your time. I need you to go back to your seats and just say, God, I thank you for coming. Go, go back to your seats. I need to pray for you and let you go. Thank you for streaming in. You're watching from wherever you are. Just like I prayed for them today, I pray for you, for God's blessing upon your life, that this will be the day that your life will never change. And what we prayed for them is a prayer we pray for you. I want you to go ahead and have a seat in Jesus' name. I got to let you go home. Man, I'm over today by 11 minutes, but that's all right. At least I know I'm over by 11 minutes, praise God. Some churches, they don't know when they're over, how far over they are. So at least